Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. Our next workshop is coming up June 28th through the 30th in Texas in the Hill Country, north of San Antonio. Space is limited, so call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY to register. That's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're so glad that you've decided to join us. My name is Jonathan Darty, and I've got a special guest on the line with us today. I have Donna Dixon. And uh, Donna, thank you so much for being on uh, the program with us. Thank you for inviting me, Jonathan. Yeah, and before we get started, I'm really excited about having Donna on here because she's got a lot of experience in really helping uh, women and doing a lot of uh, what she calls uh, peer support facilitator training. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, before we do, I just want to let you know that, um, you know, we are a listener supported broadcast. That means the only way that you're hearing us or seeing us is because people have come alongside and supported what we're doing. And and we're grateful uh, for the, the new subscribers that we're getting to our YouTube channel and Vimeo channel and just the new listeners and the only way we're able to reach all of these new listeners and viewers is because we have partners come alongside and, and support this ministry. So if you'd like to learn about the ways that you can support our ministry, just go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate link. Now, Donna, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to really, you know, kind of put the, the weight of all of, of most of the talking on you because I've been battling the last couple of days kind of a cold flu allergy combo that is just making me sound like I'm 14 again. So, uh, <laughs> but I would love for you to just introduce yourself to our listeners, kind of let them know, you know, who you are, maybe how you've even gotten into kind of the type of ministry you're doing. And then I'd love for us to focus specifically on what this kind of peer support facilitator training looks like and why the process that you take these peer facilitators through is so vital to just group ministry and really also just helping um, people break free from all kinds of things that they need to heal from. Sure. Okay. Well, um, I am, my background has prepared me to be at this place at this time in my life. Uh, I became interested in peer support um, during my years as a, in the healthcare field, I was both a hospice volunteer director and a hospital volunteer director, and I had to create trainings for both of those in both of those places that um, would prepare them for peer support. That's basically what a volunteer role is in a healthcare system. You're coming alongside, whether it's in a particular unit or coming in and out. So, 
I loved uh, the volunteer <coughs> aspect of it for the those who volunteered and and it introduced me into the the joy of training um, mm. and creating training that met uh, the standards imposed on me by my organization and federal and state guidelines but also just that training experience one-on-one -on -one in groups but which is different than uh, i see training is much different than uh, lecturing i see it as an experience um, later I, um, or at the same time, I also led groups in my church and in ministries that I was part of, um, did all types of groups and felt very comfortable, began to feel very comfortable doing them. I love groups experiences. In 2006, I discovered um, in our marriage that my husband had had um, a sexual addiction or sexual brokenness throughout our marriage that began before. And I began looking around. We had both been doing a lot of work, um, uh, growth work in our marriage and in our relationships. Uh, through our churches and through ministries we were involved in, I was on staff with a prison ministry for about 10 years. And during that time, we helped uh, participated in leading marriage seminars within the prison system. And just, personal work and sex addiction can sexual brokenness can hide under that a lot of us discover that in ministry that that broken area and so um, I thought we were really moving into really good period of our life when I discovered and I looked for help um, found some I discovered a woman named Marcia Means a lot of partners are familiar with her work journey to healing and joy and uh, my uh, Walt and I shared our story in our church, and a couple partners asked if and women I'd known for a long time, and but asked if I'd lead a partner group using Marsha's book. I was happy to do so. I loved her workbook, and I started. I was several weeks in, and I thought something's going on here that I don't understand as a group facilitator, as a, someone who's done it for a long time. I, I recognized motions and reactions that were beyond my scope of figuring out how do I really help because something's happening in me and something's happening in them. So I contacted Marsha, asked her for a consult. If we could talk about this, where is their training to lead partner groups? At the same time, I was asked to become a Stephen ministry leader for our church and bring Stephen ministries into our church. And I went to the training, uh, which is over a week long and in St. Louis where, where they're headquartered. And for those who are not familiar with Stephen ministry, it's been in existence for more than 30 years now. They uh, have, tr have their uh, Stephen ministry in over 13,000 churches uh, across all the not Christian denominations. The training is excellent, but not only is the training excellent for the leader, what they give the church to, and, and they created a system for coming alongside, for developing peer support, uh, to come alongside for the, to equip the, the church, us, for the works of ministry. So uh, that it doesn't all fall on the pastor. I love the idea, the concept of a system of care. So they have, they train the leader, the leader then trains and works with the, those who want to become Stephen Ministries ministers and um, helping people through crises in life, things like 
a death or move to a new town or any of the types of crises that people experience. But not only did they have a, a, a system for equipping me to train and me to walk alongside, they, had, they developed a system of peer supervision, meaning uh, those who became Stephen ministers would participate in a monthly groups where they, they talk about what they're experiencing with the person there uh, confidentially. There's lots of guidelines around it. And in that, they were able to, as a Stephen minister, you're able to maintain long-term. You're not going to burn out. You're going to experience support. So in 2014, um, I went to a conference for the organization where I now serve on the board. It was IAXIS now. It is now CSASI, which is Christian Sex Addiction Specialist International. We mentor and train. And I was invited to come on the board by Dr. Barbara Steffens because we had uh, talked about the need for training and we both had a passion for that. And I was asked to create a workbook for partners uh, to use in churches that they would be able to uh, be equipped. I did my uh, due diligence and researching what's out there for peer facilitators in the various communities. What does it take to create something that would um, meet the certification standards that, that are applicable for peer supporters? So I did that, and but what I recognized right away was I, I couldn't in due diligence just create a workbook. I'm very familiar with what we're like as in, in doing work, work workbooks. I've led lots of Bible studies in churches with workbooks and know that people may, may complete a portion of a, a chapter. They may not, and, and we lose a lot in that. And I wanted to offer a training and uh, then I wanted to offer a community afterwards, uh, after the Stephen ministry model. So that's what I began doing. I began, uh, I, my, the work, first workbook was completed in 2016, the same time I started training um, partners. I don't do a lot of advertising because right now there's just me training. And we now have about uh, over 60 uh, women from around, literally around the globe that have uh, completed the Adore Pope training. Well, let's talk about that a little bit specifically, just because um, it sounds like, I mean, all, a lot of things happened over a long period of time to sort of kind of eventually culminate into the training that you now have for peers, peer facilitators, specifically for, if I understand, is this specifically for women who are then coming out of trauma uh, betrayal trauma, things like that. So can you talk a little bit about that specifically of what that process looks like and, and why you believe it's so important that this peer support model be utilized in that process for a woman who's coming out of betrayal trauma? You're referring to the women I train for peer facilitators? Yes. Okay. Why I believe the model is so important is there's really some, and I've taken them. I've taken video courses that are excellent. I love them. You know, they, they've helped me. I, I just was working, going through one, and I'm going through another one now on sex addiction to continue increasing my own awareness for my training others. But what happens in, you can, it's so easy to get distracted when I'm watching a video and I'm going back and I'm making notes and I don't have an opportunity to ask questions. So 
the, the model for the training is either virtual or one-on-one, -on -one, where it's an experience, very interactive. Um, <clears throat> they're not just watching something, they're interacting with their questions. And there's always questions. I, um, the workbook, when I created the workbook, <clears throat> excuse me, I created it with a, what is um, now called either a trauma-informed approach. I, knowing I've been trained in partner trauma, how to come alongside through FSATs, excuse me. <clears throat> and in that training, I understand that it's very likely that a partner will be uh, triggered when she's going through um, the workbook because they're talking, they're, they're, we're going back into our experience or we're talking about how others might experience something. Something like, for instance, something like group dynamics, which is um, anybody that's working with groups, uh, if they have any kind of training, wherever they do it, uh, for instance, smallgroups.com has wonderful material for equipping people um, to lead groups. I love their work. I subscribe to that and, and uh, mention it all the time. But if we, if group dynamics change when you understand and look through a trauma lens. You understand someone's behavior could be coming from a trigger. So you go, I want, to, I want facilitators to know how to respond to that. So they stay healthy and the, the group stays a safe place for everybody. Now, for the sake of just clarity, let's back up a little bit and and define trauma so that we're understanding. And I know that that's, that can cover a lot, but in terms of what you're specifically training these peer facilitators to do, how, how are they recognizing, like, what's the lens through which they're seeing trauma? How do you define that so that they can recognize when those triggers are happening, those kind of things? Um, lots of different clinical de definitions for trauma. Uh, trauma is, uh, um, we uh, and, and I'll, I'll start with trauma being, we now understand uh, childhood trauma, the extent that people can experience uh, trauma as a child, uh, whether it's from things like um, uh, abuse, physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse, other types of abuse, emotional abuse. We know neglect can do. We know experiencing um, accidents or health you know, health issues for children uh, can cause trauma as a child. And then um, we know uh, we know a lot today um, from about trauma from what experiences uh, we began really studying it out of the you know after the Vietnam or during the Vietnam War. We mm -hmm. had to look at that kind of trauma. Um, and we know that people, first responders experience trauma. Well, we also have learned, thanks to the work of Judith Herman, a lot of her work is what's talked about. And that's more the relational trauma. Uh, that's, and that, uh, Judith, most of her work was on uh, abuse, both sexual abuse and physical abuse, and why the trauma that happens in the, the that, you know, it's a traumatic event that happens in our brain. Um, H. Norman Wright, who's, written a, a wonderful book about uh, Christian psychologist who's written a wonderful book about crisis and trauma. Uh, he calls a, a trauma a cognitive concussion. So that something's happened in my brain. However I've had that trauma, it's happened in our brain. Um, Barb Steffens and um, Marsha Means wrote the first partner book on trauma, Your Sexually Addicted Spouse. That's when the, and that was uh, published in 2008. That was literally one of the first um, approaches, the first approach to recognizing that what 
the relational trauma based on um, data and studies that were done. And there were several others that were doing the approach in too. So the model for trauma is that relational traumas happen. And when relational traumas happen in the brain, our brain is storing uh, memories and uh, the parts of our brain, the amygdala, for instance, is, is storing that and it wants to keep us safe. And the triggers come from a stored thing. It doesn't look safe now. And that's going to look different for uh, based on our um, based on our histories, based mm -hmm. on our particular relationship. So part of my trigger might not be the same as someone else's triggers. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of times, what we'll say, like when we do our workshops with the men who are the betrayers, but recognize also that they have trauma in their own past of various kinds. I give them the non-clinical, just hey, I'm the guy with no letters after my name entry point for understanding trauma and I'll say you know trauma is anything that overwhelms your emotional system yep. and that's why I think like what you're saying it's very personal so yeah. like you can have one child you can have you can have several kids growing up in the same family experiencing many of the same environmental factors in those relationships some aspects of the, that might actually traumatize and overwhelm one child and not the other, and then other aspects might overwhelm that other child and not the other, you know what I mean? So, so a lot of times when we talk about siblings and you're remembering your childhood and one kid is just totally, you know, uh, ripped apart and emotionally because of something, the other kid goes, I don't even remember that. What are you talking about? That didn't affect me the same. So we have to also recognize, right, that spectrum of how trauma affects everybody's system differently. Absolutely. And we're, we're really just on um, the cusp of gaining more understanding about it. We continue. I mean, the, the, when I started in 2014 gathering material and research, some of the people that were really helpful to me in, in, in gaining enough of an understanding that I knew I was on the right track, that, that I wouldn't overwhelm others, were people like Diane Langberg who's a Christian, if you're familiar with her. She's a Christian psychologist who's worked in the trauma field for more than 40 years. And she's worked a lot around childhood sexual abuse or other abuse, but also in countries like Rwanda and the Congo, where they train, the American Bible Society has a trauma healing institute and they train nationals to help work in those areas. And they're also doing that in the inner cities because of things we now understand clinically about trauma. Uh, Diane calls trauma the, the 21st century mission field. And I think in our world, we're seeing that. And um, I believe in uh, one, of the, one of the outcomes I really love seeing, and, and I, I see it all the time in, in my work, is if we go through the healing process and don't push back from it, if we'll really do that, whether it's the person who is struggling with their sexual brokenness or those impacted by it, the spouse, the children, the parents, the sibling, I mean, this whole community is affected by this, our whole family system and our greater, our churches and our communities. But when we go through that, I absolutely believe that if we go through um, and we're holding on to our anchor and we're, we're in a community, a safe community. We will experience post-traumatic growth. 
which is phenomenal. And I believe that the corollary biblical um, connection with that is, is the abundant life that Christ promised. Mm -hmm. I I just say, that's another way to say post-traumatic growth because Mm -hmm. it's different than resilience. Resilience is I'm bouncing back. If I have post-traumatic growth, that means I've gone beyond where I was when this started. So that's the power of, I, I, I love groups. They're powerful. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, especially as it pertains, let's say, to wives, to, to women who have faced uh, betrayal trauma, uh, you know, mainly through what we see in our ministry in terms of some kind of sexual betrayal. Um, what is that process and what is the hope that you have for a woman who is experiencing this uh, peer facilitated group? I mean, first of all, how generally speaking, how long is the process of such a group and what is the hoped for outcome for a woman who goes through that process? Well, I'll start with the hope that a group, now I would not want to put on any group facilitator uh, and this would in, in include the clinician or the well-trained coach uh, facilitator. We're not going to put on them an expectation that by participating in the group, the partner is is now going to be now she's got it. She's got it nailed because the recovery from this, all things considered, takes time. What I do, what I my hope for a well-trained group, somebody's a, a, a group led by somebody who knows what they're doing as a facilitator um, and has some level of confidence and places to get help when she or he, for those who uh, male groups or the addict group or male partners, we have a, a more male partners now. Um, my, my hope is that they'll, they'll have a safe community and they'll move forward. I'm still moving forward in my, you know, in our spiritual journey and our the transformative work of Christ. I'm still moving forward. I'll be doing that the rest of my life. And the same with um, becoming emotionally and spiritually healthy. That's a ever moving. So my hope is that the partner, when she leaves a group, that uh, a particular group, um, she will have gained something for it that she could continue moving forward. Mm-hmm. We. Uh, in APSATS, uh, which is the partner, their organization that trains clinicians and coaches um, and others, um, but certifies clinicians and coaches to, to work with partners. Um, it, we follow the, the, the trauma recovery model, which uh, talks about the stages being a first partner has to be feel safe. She has to be stabilized. She has to be able to sense some empowerment. She uh, that would typically be when a partner is going to, maybe for the first time, uh, begin to understand what boundaries look like and how to set boundaries, how to communicate them, how to adjust to them. And then they have to go through the stage of remembrance and mourning where they're, uh, they're really grieving the losses. The losses are many. One of the big ones for partners is that this isn't what I thought marriage was. I thought it was mm-hmm. And we're looking at the history. And then reconnection, where we're reintegrating our life. We're having, a, you know, and it, it might look different. It's going to look different for different partners based on their circumstances. So the, the time frame from that 
can be extensive. It can be years to actually get through, particularly if there's relapses for um, in the in the relationship. So it's a coupleship. Yeah, and then how do you how do you sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, recruit women into these peer facilitator training groups? Because it sounds to me like if I'm understanding what kind of peer support really is all about, is that there is a personal identification from the leader with who they are actually trying to lead in the group. So is this also part of the group in terms of say, kind of planting a seed with these women who are working through betrayal trauma just to say, hey, you know, part of the post-traumatic growth is then going and passing along what you have learned and then trying to help others. So is that kind of how you get a lot of the leaders into the training? Well, it's funny you say that. Um, it, it's yes and and yes. Uh, when we're in post-traumatic growth, and I, when, I first noticed that when I was a hospice volunteer director. As a hospice volunteer director, there wasn't one volunteer who came to me who hadn't had a second death in the last uh, two or three years. They wanted to become, because they wanted to give back, they were far enough along in their healing journey. In one of the first modules that we go through, which is the significance of peer facilitator training. Why all this time? Why am I spending this time when I've led groups for years doing um, maybe in church or whatever? Um, and one of the things we talk about is the difference between being an unhealed wounder and a, a wounded healer. That an unhealed wounder, um, that would be someone who isn't ready yet. And I've had to tell people, I just don't think it's time. I, I think you, you, you're going to do more. Um, there's been several part, women who've gone through their training and, and they've, they were okay, but they recognized during the training that, you know, I'm not quite ready. And they, they've done some more work. So the process is, um, and I don't, I don't market my work. Most people come to me. I mean, I let people know one another. Training goes within my those with whom I'm familiar on my website or on my Facebook page. But um, that's definitely how people send them to send others to me is mm -hmm. someone in the group is at the stage where she's, she wants to do something and she wants over and over and over and over and over. It's the partner telling me, I want to give back. There was, there's, there's still not enough help for either the person with the sexual brokenness or the person or the spouse. Um, one of my colleagues in um, Indianapolis, her name is Kristen Carey with Living Truth. She started a program, um, um, uh, an offshoot of their uh, women's, their partner program. They have a, her husband runs the men's program in their church. Huge, they've got like 30, 40 women coming every week to their partners group. But she started a program now for daughters in the battle. Mm. So it's a ministry that's reaching the daughters and it's from 14 to late twenties and uh, they're having their second daughter's retreat this summer. So, you know, things are happening where people um, uh, capture that vision of, I can do this. I can do this. And particularly when there's a place where they can get support afterwards, you know, that if I'm doing this, I'm not doing it alone because that, yeah. that can be very heady. You know, just like, boom. And one of the things, too, that I'm sure you've seen in, in your training and in your ministry is that there is such 
a, a, an immediacy of the connection between a facilitator and a group member when they know that the facilitator can understand on a personal level what they are going through versus somebody that only has maybe got some book knowledge or only has the academic side of things. Not to say that there's a, there's a value to the academic understanding, but there's a different kind of connection that you can make in a group that creates that deep level of safety when the facilitator can, can personally identify with those in the group. Um, And so speak a little bit to that of why it's so important that you have set up that model that way so that, that safety is almost immediately felt by the group members. I'm passionate about that, Jonathan. I'm really passionate. Um, And that's increased as um, my passion has increased over the last four years about that. Um, And part of it is the the substantial amount of information that we have out there on the success of peer support. Um, The U.S. government, our Department of Veterans Affairs, they have a whole section that is on peer peer support and peer facilitator training and ongoing support. Uh, the mental health field, mental health field is um, carried a lot because there's not enough mental health providers. It's carried a lot by peer support for exactly what you're saying. Um, it's that whole me too. What, what we also talk about in training the peer facilitator, though, is that recognition that um, I, I'm, I'm holding, I'm holding my, my peerness. Um, I'm honest about that. I'm transparent about that. But I'm also modeling that how I've gotten a little further along in the journey. Mm-hmm. What helped me when I did? But not in the sense that what helped me might not help another partner. Our journeys... The, our journeys in anything is not going to look exactly like someone else's. So I don't impose that you must do A, B, C, and D for you to get, for you to reach, uh, to you to get to the place that you know God would have you move forward in and to have a hope yeah. for that future. It doesn't have to look like just like this, but here are some ways. And that would be some of the kind of guidelines you'd put around a group too, that we don't say this is how you, know, you should do something. It's kind of like when we're dealing with a man coming out of an addiction and we're coming from this Christian worldview and we say, you know, one of the things that is absolutely necessary for any man who is going to get well and pursue integrity is the biblical concept of repentance. Absolutely. But the reality is, is how repentance is applied to each specific man's life is going to look different because of the things they need to repent of, the, the, the wounds that they're carrying, all those types of things that are part of that. And so there is an individual, even though the principle applies to every single person, the manifestation of that principle will look different in each of those yeah. individual lives. Well, Donna, we, we only have a couple of minutes left, and I would love for our listeners to be able to know where they can get more information about your ministry or just some of the things that you're connected to. So how can people learn more about what you're talking about here in terms of peer, peer facilitator training? Sure. The, the best place would be to go to my website, and that's lifeisahead.com. So that's my website. It, it talks about me. It gives an overview of the training. Um, I, I describe the modules that we go through. My training is either virtual training um, or when invited in, which I've, I've been invited in to do training by ministries um, that want me to do a face-to-face group. 
uh, training. Um, so my Facebook would, I mean, sorry, my website, Life is Ahead, would be the best. Um, okay. Also, I am I'm delighted for my um, the colleagues that I have that, uh, like Gigi with the Broken Ministries, and she's fabulous. I'm on the board for uh, CSASI, which is C, capital C, uh, hyphen, S-A-S-I, and that is a board, that is an organization that is mentoring, equipping, supervising, we're working with uh, both uh, pastors, uh, lay leaders, clinicians, coaches, and peer facilitators, and you can find out more about that organization too, it's just great. So, yeah, well, Donna, thank you for your time. And also just thank you for your investment in this area of ministry. It's very needed and we appreciate you being in this space. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're always glad that you're with us. If you want to get more information about us or just reach out to us, please do so through our website at puresexradio.com. Or you can also hit us up on Twitter at puresexradio. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.